0: Welcome, David Breaker, to the Focus on Why podcast. Hi there, Amy. Well, David is passionate about people living their purpose and living healthier lifestyles, and we're going to find out why. So, David, tell us what it is you do and why are you doing that?
1: What I love doing is I love trying to help people reconnect with their passions and purpose. There's a real big reason why I do that, And it's all to do with my past, of the man I used to be eight years ago. Um, I talk quite openly about it now, so people understand that life doesn't go perfectly for everyone. Um, No one has a perfect life. I think it's impossible to imagine that we could possibly have a perfect life. But for me now, it's about trying to help people to reconnect with, with that passion. But a big passion of mine is the healthy living, the healthy eating. It all stems from, as I said, about eighteen years ago. Uh, I'm about 37 now, and about when I was 29, I was living at home at my parents, unemployed, no skills or qualifications. I dropped out of uni, didn't really achieve anything there. I was spending 14 hours a day playing World of Warcraft, a very well-known online multiplayer game. Um, and at my biggest, I was 32 stone. And it's quite hard when you sort of say two stone and people just sort of can't always imagine it as, as a size, but I was really at quite a low part in my life and for me, I'm always quite happy to talk about it because I think people need to know that as a game we come back to no one has a perfect life and at that time, at my lowest point, I, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to share the fact that I was suicidal, I actually wanted to. I planned how to take my life. I knew exactly how I was going to do it. Because, and I know when I've said this to people that they they don't like it. I've had people say it's really horrible to say that about yourself, but I, I didn't like myself. I hated who I was. I didn't think I had any worth. I didn't think I had any value. All I All I did was play my games. I mean in my game trust me I was Gruffgar the mighty shaman of the eastern kingdom my slay dragons and led raids but
0: You spent so much time gaming
1: yeah loads 40 I mean honestly um 14 hours a day um I would I'd stay up all night playing I'd I'd get up late in the morning go downstairs get something to eat take it back to the computer and I'd sit and eat, eat it on the computer I would and I and I It it sounds like I'm maybe oversharing, but I I, I believe people need to really understand that I was undomesticated. I didn't really know how to cook, didn't look after myself, wouldn't brush my teeth. Um, Sometimes I wouldn't shower for a week, didn't look after myself just because the game was everything, my addiction. Um, And certainly... Um, I don't obviously uh, there has been a lot of bigger call lately from the Who, from the World Health Organization, about recognizing gaming addiction as a mental health disorder. Um, which for me on a personal level is quite a big deal that it's finally being recognized. Although there still is people going, Oh, it's just gaming, it's all right, and it's just like, it's so much more than that. Just like any addiction, it takes over your life. And that's and I think that's what people need to understand is when you get to the point where I did, where you don't do any of the, for lack of a better term, normal things that we would do, looking after yourself, looking for some form of purpose, some form of work, you know, and some doing something. That's when it's an addiction, when you're choosing not to do these normal day-to-day things that we would do just to the inclusion, you know, just just to do the addiction. so it's quite a big thing for me, and, 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 I've, and I've certainly talked about it openly before the last couple of years. I've been very open about it, and I think a big why I talk about it so much and why I share so much is because going through such a huge lifestyle change, and it's not just physical, it's emotional, it's mental, it's I'm such a different person, that going through this big change on your own, it's really hard, it's like really, really hard, in fact, I'd even go to argue in some sense it, it's, it's more than hard, maybe even to a degree of impossible, to make such a huge change in your life without some form of support, whether it is a family, a friend, a professional uh, a, a professional service that helps in some way. So I, I find it quite essential that people seek help, um, because if you're trying to do it on your own, you're only going to see it from one perspective. And the way I look at it, if it's if you've stayed the way you are for most of your life, and as you are, you're not going to see it from another perspective. You're only going to see it from the behaviors and habits that you set up in your life, that you're not going to be able to see it from, from a different perspective to give you a, a new way to look at it.
0: And What help and support did you get?
1: Um, so it's quite a long-term thing. Um, So essentially, the the first help that I got actually was a bit of a wake-up call, and it was from my GP. So bearing in mind, I'm 29, uh, I've been unemployed for about six years, um, you know, and was stuck into my game. Uh, And I went for a sort of routine GP appointment, and he took some measurements, weighed me, stuff like that, and he went, Dave, you're 29, you're 32 stone, you're putting on a stone, maybe two stone a year. I'm going to give you five, maybe 10, if you're lucky, years, and you're going to be dead of a heart attack. Really, just he just came out of it. He just didn't, he didn't much of his words. He didn't, he just said it very bluntly. And it was like a slap. It really was like a slap, just whack. And bear in mind that, Emotionally, mentally, I wasn't in a great place anyway, but it wasn't until that I really had heard it from an external voice that someone said, you know, this is, what you're, this is what's gonna happen to you. You're, you're going to, to be dead. And it actually caused me nightmares for about two weeks. So for about two weeks, I said, every night I had the same nightmare. And that nightmare was, every night I felt like I was a ghost walking into a graveyard walking up to a gravestone, and it was my own gravestone that said, David Breaker, he was here, he played games. And that's all my gravestone said, and then the nightmare would end. And it, cause the, the, and this is, again, the thing, when the GP said about that you need to change your life, David, you need to, you need to think about this, he offered me some help and said that I can refer you here or here. I said no. I said no to him. I said, no, I don't want it. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. Which, it's really hard looking back and thinking about that, actually, that I was in such a low place that I, even when help was offered, I said, no, I don't, I don't deserve it. I mean, you know, as a person, you know, I, I didn't look after myself. I didn't care about myself. There was no value there. I didn't value who I was. I, I didn't care about myself. So it was really hard to take that sort of initial sort of shock and it was only after those two weeks that the with the nightmare that i went back to the gp said look okay i can't get this nightmare out of my head i'm really scared what can we do and and then he said again about the solution he offered so for the for the weight loss for example he he offered me medication first there's a medication known as oralistat it's designed to stop your body from absorbing a certain amount of the fat it's not a very nice medication, to be honest. And as I I've learned now, obviously from my experience and my training that I've now done, that it's not a fix. It's, it doesn't fix. It's a pill, it doesn't help. But I took it up because I wanted the quick, easy solution. I didn't want I didn't want to do the hard work. I just wanted flip that switch, make me thin. Sort of mindset. I was on a medication for about six months. Didn't really helped, just made things worse, especially when I ate like a whole 15-inch pizza to myself. And eventually I wasn't making any progress. I went back to the GP and said, look, again, I'm not getting anywhere. What can I do? And again, he offered another, it was a service locally, or it's it's called tipping the balance locally, but essentially a lot of people don't know this, but within public health, uh, within the NHS, there's uh, different tiers of healthy eating services. So your tier one is your your GP, your nurse, your frontline people that might talk to you and say, look, we're worried about your, your your weight. Tier two is normally a sort of group-based educational course which you go along, which actually I now facilitate for my local council. Not not at the moment, obviously, during COVID-19, as you can imagine, but once we get past this, we'll get back in and again, our, and be looking forward to doing that. But the one that he wanted me to go on was called Tip in a Balance, which is the Tier 3. It's designed for people of BMI 35 or higher. And bear in mind at this time, my BMI was about 60, which is huge, I'm not going to lie, OK? Um, and before anyone says, I'm well aware that BMI, or Body Mass Index, is the worst indicator we have for weight, and also the best one. It's kind of that awkward situation. But he, he again, he said about, you know, please look at re- going for Tip in a Balance. And, I sort of, after that six months of not getting anywhere, I said, look, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give in, I'll do it. And I'm glad I did it because I got so much help and support there. Uh, they gave you a one-to-one uh, nurse practitioner who talks through your eating habits. She does a food diary with you, but importantly, she gets to really understand you and the emotional and mental side. Um, I'll give you an example. Before all these meetings, I remember being sent to a dietitian at the hospital, didn't want to go. And she she was a lovely girl, but she was 20. She was a skinny little thing, obviously recently trained and qualified as a dietitian, and she was really trying to help. But she just sat down and went, stop eating all this food, Dave. That'll help you lose weight. And it's like, it's not enough. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. It's an, it's an addiction. It, food is an addictive thing. We do it because it helps. For me, it was a crutch to help me manage my moods. And I'll go in later about where my weight started to go on and, and how that developed. But, um, yeah, tipping the balance was a great step for me. Actually led to me getting one-to-one counselling and group therapy. And in the end, they wanted to push me towards gastric surgery. Which at first, again, I, I declined. I said, "No, I don't want that. I don't deserve it. It's a wave of a magic wand. Why would I want that?" They they, they tried to convince me. Said, "Look, Dave, you're you're first. You know, you're 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 pretty big. You know, it's going to be really hard work for us to get you down to a healthy weight." And then, I mean, I think about four months I was with them, and I was making some progress—not a huge amount, but a bit. And then eventually, after a conversation with the nurse where she was quite honest and she was quite. She probably spoke a little bit out of turn in a way because we'd built up a relationship and she was trying to help me really work through it. And she just said, you know, Dave, think about that conversation you have with the GP. Think about what you're doing. I, you know, are you really happy? What is it you want? What do you want to do? And, and it led eventually to me to this sort of... I broke down in front of her and I, and I was really emotional and I just said, okay... I'll do the surgery I'll do it. I understand it now. I understand that I need this and and again this I say this to everyone actually It's like um any tool in life use it i mean if you've got a if you've got a ha- if you've got a hammer a nail in the wall, what would you rather use your head or a hammer? you'd use a hammer wouldn't you absolutely and it's the same with um it's an interesting thing around tools and using taking the opportunities when they're there, um, and certainly there's, I know there's a lot of negative views towards gastric surgery anyway, that it's, you, you, didn't, you don't do the work, and it's, it's not, you know, it's not the same as doing it natural. I've had someone say that to me. It's not, you didn't do it the natural way. But there's this interesting thing, like, if I saw someone with a, a patch on their arm trying to give up smoking, I wonder how many people would walk up to and go, you're not doing it the natural way just give up the smoking. do it natural. They wouldn't, would they? People wouldn't do it. And it's just, it's interesting when you look at it. And, and the thing is, I'm so glad I took up the gastric surgery because I was on the waiting list for about a year, just over a year now, uh, I think it's about just over a year. And I lost five stone off my own back. And that was literally just eating a bit healthier, giving up fizzy, getting rid of sugar in my tea and coffee, eating less, going to my local gym, there's even photos now. I can still see old photos of me in the gym sweating away. And, and that was quite an important thing that actually – and that was, in fact, one of the requirements for me to have surgery, that I'd lost some, some weight on my own back. And, again, there was I had to see a, a psychologist and actually work through some of my emotional baggage, uh, for lack of a better term, that comes around my eating. And then, in 2015, in February 2015, I remember the the month and year very well. Um, I finally was taken down at Chichester, down in the south of England, to a place called Lockwood Centre, which is the... In many ways, it's where they... That centre there is where they first did gastric surgery. They have had years of experience. And I remember the day, I remember dressing up in my little gown, ready to go. And I was really committed. I was going to do it, uh, especially because before the gastric surgery, a lot of people don't know about it, but they they tried to make you go on either a low calorie or a milk diet, which essentially for two weeks, I was on four pints of semi-skin milk a day, no food. Yeah, that that was hard. I tell you, it was really hard, especially when you're cooking meals. I was cooking meals for my partner uh, then, and I've cooked the meal for them. And I sat down and put the meal on the plate in front of them, and they and, and my my dinner was literally a pint of milk, and I'm so. Like, oh, it's just, but you've got to do it. Do you know what, what I mean?
0: What was the theory behind that?
1: So uh, the reason why they do that is because um, they they go firing keyhole surgery to to and essentially um, the gastric bypass. What they do is they disconnect your stomach from the top and part that goes to your esophagus and your uh, intestines, small intestine. And what they do is they cut it apart to make a brand new one and reconnect it. But they, the problem is the liver sits sort of on top of where the stomach is. And um, if you've eaten a lot of food, normally the liver is quite bloated. And it, it, so if you don't have food in your stomach apart from the milk and, and obviously that, um, it shrinks, the liver shrinks. So what they could do is much more easily move the liver out the way to do to do the surgery. Um, in fact, I've known people, because I now actually, I volunteer for Tipping the Balance now when I actually go to meet people that are considering the surgery. But um, I've actually known people that have gone for the surgery. They've waited two years, didn't follow the, the milk diet to the T, they continue to eat food. They've turned up for the day of surgery and they've, said, they've, they've done the scan to check the liver and they said, nope, it's not gone down enough. Canceling your surgery and we're taking, taking you off the waiting list. Wow, it's really harsh. Mm. But I mean, again, I understand why they do it because you need to be ready. From then on, I uh, the next nine months, I, I to say I went in hardcore is probably an, a bit of an understatement. I went in nine months. I went from twenty seven stone to fifteen so i lost about 12 stone in 9 months
0: that's a really, really big amount of weight
1: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely just part of but again you know the interesting thing about it is actually there's a lot of psychology around it and a lot of people think with the gastric surgery oh well it'll just work and it will just you know you'll be fine and it won't you know just just eat less but it's, there's a lot of emotions attached to it um, and there's certainly been people that have had gastric surgery that have just put all the weight back on that you know there was actually a lady i did my research um she'd had the gastric surgery she didn't lose much weight but what she was doing every day well, she was going out to a a local uh, chip shop, buying a large doner kebab, salad, pita and the chips, bringing it home, putting it in a blender, blending it down into liquid, and then drinking it. Why? Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, and and uh, it was just like, oh, yeah. it's because of, it's crazy to imagine she did it. But the, the the thing is, after surgery, because your stomach's quite small they all your for the first four weeks your food needs to be blended because you can't manage solid food you, you're going back to baby essentially mm. but for her I just I, I, that story always stays with me that she just she obviously hadn't worked out what was the reason behind it and and actually her why her why she wants to lose weight and I'll give you a really good perfect example of of why this of why the why is so important I know you this is your thing I mean you agree with the why is so important but now when I go for these volunteer evenings where I get to meet people considering the surgery, I always ask them, why do you want to have the surgery? Why do you want to lose weight? And a lot of them say, because I'll be healthier, won't I? Or it'll be because the GP told me. And I'm like, sorry, but it's not enough. It's just not enough. There's got to be more to it. And it's really important that they, really, you really process it and work out why you want to lose weight. So, so my one, for example, was all because – I genuinely felt that I had no value. I was no one. I didn't think I was going to make any difference to the world. I just generally thought my gaming was going to be it, and that was that. But I'm going to, there was a really lovely gentleman who, he's so sweet. He was, he was quite a large gentleman in his early 60s. And when I asked him, why do you want to lose weight? Why do you want the surgery? And he said to me, well, whenever I take my granddaughter out, when we go to a shop, we park up, we do what we do, and then we come back out. My granddaughter always runs to the car and beats me to the car. I want to be able to run and beat her to the car. And I was like, "Yeah, that's amazing. That's <sighs> there's so much more there, isn't there? There's so much more reason for him on a personal level. You know, he 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 was talking about how he loves spending time with his granddaughter. And for me, that that's that 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 stays with me now." So then, I mean, that's that's the weight loss side, uh, essentially of how I've sort of rebuilt my life and the support that I've got. But actually, quite quite funny about that actually is they they normally quote that you lose seventy percent of your excess fat is what they quote it on the gastric surgery. Um, I actually lost a hundred and five hundred and two five percent. I overdid it a little bit. I was a bit keen, um, and I remember a conversation with with the the surgeon, Mr. Slater. Uh, And he sat me down. This is about a year after after the surgery, post op. And he went, "Dave, you've done amazingly. You should be really proud. You're probably in the top five percent of people that have achieved the most. You know, you're you're in a a very small minority here. But we've been looking at the symptoms and issues you've been having. We've been looking at your weight, and we need you to put weight back on and eat more food. And I'm not going to say what I said because it was quite (laughs) blunt." But it, was, but it was genuinely like, are you kidding me? Mm. I said, I've just worked my arm, well, yeah, I've worked yeah. myself really hard to, to achieve And you're now telling me I need to eat more. And he went, yeah, you do, because you're underweight. Um, I'm six foot, I'm just over six foot. And I was down to about 11 and a half, maybe 12, maybe 12 stone. And he said, you're, you're far too underweight for your, for your height. So that's certainly an interesting thing. But one of the uh, big changes for me, Apart from the physical, is the sort of mental, emotional side as a person of who I am. I didn't have that work ethic. I didn't want to work. I didn't have skills. I didn't know what I wanted to do. But part of the group therapy I done via Tipping Balance, When I was talking to these people, other members of the group, they were saying like, "Dave, you're really good. You're you're a really good listener, but you're also really emotional. You're really friendly. You're really, we feel that we can connect with you." And one of them, she went, "Have you ever thought about?" About becoming a counsellor, no, no. Why would I do that? Oh, that's weird. But but a seed had been planted in my mind. There was this seed of well, actually, maybe what? Hmm. And then about a month later, I I, I don't know what came over to me, and I think it was just like, okay, well, let's let's do this. Let's have a look. Google it. And I found a local course, uh, a level two in counselling skill, uh, listening skills, as they call it, where they teach you the basics of listening skills. Kept on that. Uh, that was a part time, and that was doable by me because obviously I'd been out of education for ages. I hadn't been in employment, so keeping to that strict, do you know what I mean, of learning and pushing yourself was quite hard. But I, I with support from family and friends, I, I was able to keep on with the course, complete it, and get the qualification. And then followed on after that was the level three in counselling studies, learn a little more about the theories. And I came to a crossroads and it was, well, actually, do you want to do the level four in counselling or the life coaching? And that was, there was, I spent a good two months thinking about that, thinking what is it, what do I want? And as much as I love counselling, I know it works for a lot of people, but, Depending on the theory, it has tendencies not to always be solution focused. It has tendencies not to be progressive and trying to find a, a not a, a way forward for people. So, when I looked into the life coaching, I realised actually that's an area I want to be because it is about trying to understand a person, understand what's what's working for them now and where they want to be, and actually giving them the tools to understand how to get to the end goal. So that. For me, I I committed to that in the end. That was bang, yep, gonna do that. And slowly but surely, I did the life coaching diploma, I finished that off, and I've started my own business. I've become much more entrepreneurial, helped my partner. I run a joint company, my partner now, where we sell on Amazon. And I've rebuilt my skills and my mindset with the networking and supporting people, certainly around wellness. That I've gone through this huge shift as a person that when I sort of talk to people about it, sometimes people can't fully really comprehend the difference in the person. And I'm going to give you some some perfect examples, actually, that, that sort of summarise, actually, the, the huge difference. So my dad passed away three years ago. Um, and I really miss him. I really miss his his insight. He was always a really uh warm, caring man and he and he was really worked very hard for us as a family. But he actually died to to his smoking habit, he had COPD and and actually to, to his weight uh was a big issue for him. He used to be a, a carpenter and woodsman, eating easily seven thousand calories a day but burning it all off because he was so active. But in the last fifteen years of his career he he became a driving instructor but continued to eat the same amount of food. So he went from very active to not. And it just, he put the weight on. He absolutely, just the, wild, the weight piled on. He was smoking heavily. And, and the sad truth is three, three years ago, um, in the middle of the night, he came downstairs, had rapid pneumonia, smacked his head in the kitchen and was dead. And I got the call. I, I wasn't living at home there. Then I'd moved out with my, my, my new partner at the time and got the call and I rushed over and there he was on the kitchen floor. Um, the ambulance uh, people trying to save his life, but he was dead. He was gone. Yes, I knew it was going to happen, came in and the the sad truth is that he was gone, that my dad wasn't here anymore. Um, And when I talk about this to people, some people find it strange because I actually like to say in some ways, losing my dad was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I know this sounds strange, because we all deal with death differently. But for me, there are two big things really around my dad that, that that stay with me. He always used to have this mindset that his that he he used to say to me very regularly, "Dave, I've been drawn a bad hand for life." So he had a very negative mindset that. He was given a bad hand. That you know, his his glass was half empty. He, you know, never achieved what he wanted to do. He was never really happy. And for me, that really hit home quite hard because it. I think it influenced me with my mindset that that's what my dad thinks. And bearing in mind, uh, I will openly say as well that my my mum for years has struggled with her own mental health. She's been openly suicidal. Um, she's committed, attempted to commit suicide numerous times during her life, and there's even times when I've come home and found her collapsed on the floor with her arms cut, puke everywhere, where she's overdosed, and it it it's left quite a sort of difficult it, it, to say I'm over it. To say that I've worked through it, it's just just can't. But I've I've learned how to manage it, but for me. When losing my dad and realizing that I don't want to live his life like he did, I don't want to be getting to his age and and thinking, oh, I've not done what I want, I've I've not lived my life. So that's that's a big influence for me. But another thing which is, and this is a big thing about me as a person. So because I wasn't domesticated, I didn't know how to cook, I didn't know how to bake. My, my dad would always, he used to like baking as a sort of uh, hobby, not, not professionally, but as a hobby. And he'd always come up to me and say, Dave, do you want to come down and I'll teach you some baking? We can spend some time together. I would always tell him, no, go away. I want to play my game. And I really do hate that about that. I hate that, that I was in that mindset that I just, no, no, go away. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And the sad truth is, the, the sad truth is, when he died, I no longer had that opportunity. It was no longer there. And for me, now I make a point I've learned to bake in the last couple of years. I've, I've actually learned how to do it. And when I do bake, it allows me to connect with him a little bit and sort of just, you know, be mindful of the fact that he is there. And it's, it's so fascinating when you look at the whole situation, you know, for example, I remember a time when I didn't want to work. And only in the last couple of years have I really wanted to push myself. I remember the mindset of, no, I'm all right being on the benefits. I live with what I've got. It's fine. I don't, I don't want more. And now I work, I, I, I easily work probably 50 hours a week. I work really hard. I work on my businesses. I work on uh, setting up and supporting people, my weight loss coaching program, uh, the wellness network that I run, supporting wellness professionals. And not only that. Again, one of the things that I've that I commit to that I do is I work for a, a local community interest company that supports people who are autistic and have learning difficulties. Because I I'm I'm dyslexic. I've even been uh, it's it's quite funny actually. Um, last year I was up in front of a local academy called Bradford's Academy and they do a wellbeing week, and they invited me to, to talk about healthy eating because it is a huge passion of mine I've I've really learned a lot about it from courses and training that I've done and I've delivered courses on it and I stood up in front of these room full of like 40 odd teachers with the whiteboard and I just turned around towards them at the start and I said I am dyslexic please be kind
0: <laughs> so what what was the tipping point for you David that you finally realized that you had value
1: I uh, I'd actually if I was to be honest, I think I've only really hit that tipping point in the last six six, twelve months that I've really realized that Do you know what I, I do have value, I do I do have skills, I do have talents, and I can help people. I think I I think a large part of it has been my networking and and actually getting out there. And and, uh, I think we all suffer from this mindset of comparing ourselves to everyone else constantly. Um, I think it's a very hard mindset. There's actually uh, one of my... uh, um, There's a famous Canadian psychologist, uh, Jordan Peterson. I know not everyone likes him, obviously, because he is controversial. But uh, there's one of his sayings that he says quite regularly that really hits home for me is that people... It's so unfair... It's the worst thing you could ever do to compare yourself to anyone else. It's just, it's just insane to think that you, because it's like, look at me and you, we weren't born to the same parents. We weren't born in the same area. We didn't have the same siblings. We weren't born to the same circumstances, didn't have the same friends, didn't go to the same school. And that's just the, you know what I mean? That's not even touching on, you know, gender on any, you know, you know, so much areas. So to compare my, to compare each, 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 us is unacceptable, but we do this all the time. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. So the big thing that he says, and, I, and it really hit, and I, and I found out about this a year ago, so it's quite interesting that actually it came around that time, was there's only one person you can compare yourself to. It's yourself. Yesterday. Who were you yesterday? Because that's a fair comparison. Because you're the same person, you're the same experience, same family, siblings, blah, 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 blah. But that was a big thing for me because I was always mindful that I wanted to be loved. I wanted – I was always worried what people would think of me um, and I was always thinking, oh, am I good enough? But a large step for me in the last year is realising that actually, no, I don't don't need external – Verification. Yeah, okay. I want to be loved, and that's fine. I can't hide away from that, and I want to bring value to people. But actually, the one value that I've, the only person that I've really got to worry about value is is myself. That, and and I know that I've achieved that. I've done so much. I've, 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 I've pushed myself so hard in the last three years, and and in many ways, the whole eight years, really to change my life, that of course I have value. I've achieved so much in my life. And again, this is a big thing I say to everyone I speak to. Value what you've achieved. And I, I've, I've genuinely had a client once I sat down with, and I asked her, I said, so what, what have you achieved with your life? What do you feel that you've done? What, what do you value that you've achieved? And she genuinely said to me, I've achieved nothing. This was a 50-year-old woman who said, I've achieved nothing in my life. And I was quite blunt with her. I said, I don't accept that. I'm sorry. I said, I can't believe you've... you've that's a... So, and we started, the next couple of sessions, we really started to focus. And she quickly, I had a huge list of the things she'd achieved. that She wasn't even, she didn't even, oh, I remember that. I remember that. Oh, I forgot about that. And it's... For me now, it's such a big thing about recognising what you achieve. And I know that there is this awkward sometimes. Sometimes people find it awkward when people recognise your achievement and compliment you. And again, that's, there's an interest in psychology there of acceptance. So no, I think that's, it's, for me, It's a big thing is now is that I know I have value. I don't think about it. I know. I absolutely know. It's empirical. It's In my, in, in my mind, it's physically there. I can feel it. That I give value
0: and do you recognize the old you anymore
1: um not well no not really I suppose I mean yeah that's kind of awkward and I and when I look back at photos of me I can kind of it's it's a bit of a weird it's like a ghost sort of looking back at that sort of image and thought of who who you who, who I was and a big thing for me is I can't imagine being in that place again, I can't imagine being that person. Not from a physical thing, but from a mindset, from a from a uh, an emotional, mental side. Um, and certainly, when you when you when you look back, and and, and as I said, I'll explain. So, I wasn't always big. Before about ten, I was a little bit chubby, a, a, a little bit, of a, you know, a, a little chubby blessed, but not not much. But a big thing for me that I don't mind sharing is that I was quite a heavy sleeper, so I didn't really. I wouldn't wake up, but the place we lived, where we lived in Rainham, was, was not really a, a good place. The neighbours were quite violent, quite aggressive, and I was being quite heavily bullied at school, uh, much to the case of, uh, I remember walking home from school and the bullies jumping out at me and beating me unconscious with metal pipes and bricks, oh, hospitalising me for about a week. Um, and there were even worse cases in the sense of, um, they cut my father's brake lines in an attempt to make cause him crash. So this is our neighbour, our next-door neighbour. Uh, they put a, a piece of let- some, uh, lettuce that was covered in bleach in our rat cage, and it killed our our our, our rabbit, sorry. Uh, and the worst case that one ended up causing, and, and this had a huge impact on me, but my whole family, but hugely on me, was there was uh, a night where the neighbours were They were having a party till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, loud music, just absolutely insane. My mum went round to say, look, I've got kids, I've got work, can you please turn it down? Um, And uh, essentially in that single night, after a bit of uh, hoo-ha, for lack of a better term, that's not the right way to put it, but it is, uh, my mother was strangled, but she survived. Uh, My dad was assaulted by four or five men, a a group of men, uh, beat him up. Uh, My sister, uh, one of my sisters had her her knee broken and smashed, uh, and the other sister um, uh, was raped. And the the big thing for me is I slept through it because I was a heavy sleeper, but I didn't know what was going on. So I woke up as a 10-year-old in a broken world. Everyone around me was broken, emotionally, mentally, physically. and 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 I just didn't, I couldn't understand it. I was like, what's going on? I don't understand why this has happened. Why have we been targeted and for, for me that that led to me um starting to evacuate from the world to draw back because i was just too scared i didn't want to be out there that's when i found gaming tabletop gaming and then gaming uh, on computers and games um and then it just sort of led to to my growing addiction and when i look back at that now i i, I struggle to, to remember it all i struggle to think about it um, in fact i've even I don't. Before the age of ten, I don't have any memories. It's just blocked out. Uh, An actual fact, with help with a hypnotherapist, I I know that the exact date where my memory stop is the date of that incident, because my my mind has just shut it off just to protect me. I've tried to work through that, not always so easy as you can imagine, but. Um, I deal with it a lot now, a lot better now. I, I, I've I learned ways to manage it. And again, this is, when I look back at who I was now and my eating habits, it's, it's I'm not perfect. I never try to pretend to people that I'm perfect as a as a healthy eating professional, as someone who promotes healthy eating. So I do have donuts. I do have the, the you know, a balance of food. I always say to people, have whatever you want. But I still struggle sometimes if I get, Quite upset, or I, have, uh, I get stressed or emotional. I, I have to be very mindful of that past of those eating habits that have been set from a very painful time in my past. Um, but it's it's being kind. I think I think a lot of people aren't kind about it. Whereas I try to just say to myself, "Okay, it's fine. If I'm going to have a donut, it's fine. If I'm if I'm going to eat the whole packet, well, that's a problem."
0: So, who do you work with now then, David?
1: Uh, what the top clients? Mm. For me, a big people, the type of people that I want to work with. If it's the life coaching, for me, it's got to be the people that they're not unhappy, but they're not happy. If that makes sense, for me, it's the people which they just live day to day. They just get up, go to work, come home. They, they, well, I would say live, but they don't live. They they just they just pay the bills
0: and just I call that existing
1: yeah absolutely yeah it is existing. it is absolutely it is existing it's but it's but it's it, it's quite for me Um, am when I when I meet people like that I, I I feel it like a in my gut I feel this just just there's that potential there in that person that's not being lived and not being found and explored and and opened up and I'd say my, most of my clients, I've worked with this with them to try and really and, uh, realign them with their passions um, and their purpose and, in many ways, their why. Mm. Because it means so much. And I, I, one client I worked with once, he came with me for a business issue, which I resolved in a couple sessions with him. And it came to an actual point where I, we'd f- finished up with that. And there were lots of things he was saying in keys that made me question, Something's it's not right here. Uh, something's, uh, th- th- there's, uh, there was concern that maybe he wasn't fully happy. And I was like, I, knew, I wanted to explore with him. And I, and I did it in a, it sounds like a really blunt question, but it was the right question. This is the great thing about coaching is that you can ask sometimes the very hard questions that need to be asked. And I just sat there, in, I think in the third session, and I said, um, your business is doing very well, which is great. Who are you without your business? And it, and it hit him, and he just sat there for like two minutes, just dead quiet. And then he just went, I don't know who I am. And that, that was a real big thing for me, to actually just sort of explore that with him. Then we spent another three or four sessions working out who he was. And I was quite proud of the fact that he, 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 he was struggling with his mental health and his anxiety, and he actually got to a point where he became a trustee of a local mental, uh, a male, a male's mental health charity. By the end, that was his decision. He decided that was where he wanted to put his effort and energy. And it's like, that's a big thing for me, helping people do that. Um, The other type of people that I – so that's the life coaching side. But I'd say my real passion actually is the healthy eating, It's trying to support people. And, again, I don't promote diets. I don't promote exclusion of food. It just doesn't work. Um So I would be, I'm looking for people that have tried yo-yo dieting They've been on and off, on and off. They've tried the Cambridge, the they've tried Slim Fast, Weight Watchers, uh, they've tried all the different diets, which we know don't work. In fact, uh, recently in the last week, I think, one of the doctors on the week, the daily announcements for COVID 19, she actually openly said, We know diets don't work. So for me, I was like, Yeah, great, get it out there, let people know that diets don't work. So for me, it's trying to find people that, want to educate and that's a big thing for me is about educating about healthy eating because there's so much information out there and it can be confusing and i'm sure you've heard it amy there in the media good news three glasses of wine a day is really good for your heart health and then literally the next week you get another one come out bad news study says red wine is bad for your heart oh, and it's like uh, it's a nightmare to find out the right information that actually is supporting you to live a healthier life. And, and again, it's, 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 I always tell this people and it's very blunt and it's a simple fact. And I know this because I've been there all your money, all your career, all your jobs, all your house, your holidays, your items, your things, your friends, your family, your, your life that you think makes your life actually means nothing really the one thing you have the one thing that you have that is the most valuable asset that you will ever have is your health so why not invest in it why would you spend 900 pound on a brand new apple phone but you wouldn't spend the same on trying to lose five ten percent of your excess fat and Live another five, ten years. It's crazy.
0: It's crazy. So your journey as, uh, and it's been, I've been sitting here transfixed the whole time, and, and is clearly uh, the passion is is now coming through, and you, the 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 value that you've now got in yourself is is literally shining through the 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 camera, and I can hear it in in my ears. What's next for you?
1: So a big a big step forward for me is I, uh, at the start of COVID-19, I um, I invested in a nutrition and weight loss uh, management diploma. Um, I already knew a lot of this stuff anyway because of the courses that I run and stuff like that. But I was like, no, I'm going to get an official course done. So I've got, I've got it all behind me and I'll become a member of the RSPH, which is the Royal Society of Public Health. So what I'm working really hard on at the moment is my weight loss coaching program. So it will be a program which will be designed for an eight week program. Um, They'll all get one to one coaching with me, 30 minutes every day. Uh, They'll get a weekly group where everyone comes together because I think that's important that we have that group support network. Uh, There'll be a Facebook group which they join. They'll get a four week uh, food diary, Google food doc diary, which we will be going through and another part of what i'll be developing is each week there will be a course content designed covering different subjects around healthy because it's such a big subject i've it's so funny because i've gone to i've done a lot of presentations and speak public speaking about healthy eating and they say can you do it in 15 minutes it's like no it's really hard you know when you look at food labeling Food planning—you need understanding the Eat Well Guide, the different food groups. Understanding the stress involved—it's a big thing. You need understanding behaviour change, activity—it's such a big subject that you can't just talk about it quickly. It's, it's got to, so that's for me. That's going to happen in the next three months. So I'm going to get that all set up. I've already got a cohort at the moment that I'm doing as a sort of trial run. As part of my case study for my course, um, and that's a, a really valuable. I'm learning a lot, which is great, but um, I, I mean, even that, that, I'm so proud of them. One of the young, uh, one of the ladies on the program, in three weeks, she's lost 11 pounds. She's pushed herself really hard, which, again, um, I'm supporting her through that and actually trying to get her to balance it out a little bit, maybe, you know, slow it down a little bit, actually, because it's about – it's not about the short term; it's all about the long term and changing the mindset around it. But that's a big thing for me because, do you know what? Let's let's be honest, Amy. i I've got to be honest. It sounds quite horrible, but it's, just, it's it's a joke, but it is true. I think people are struggling to self isolate from their fridge. Let's be honest; they are okay, right? Because we're home, we're either furloughed or we're staying safe at home. But if we haven't got something to drive us to, we haven't got a passion, a purpose, we're just pushing us, then we're going to, you know, boredom's going to kick in. Boredom's a huge motivator for overeating. And I I am genuinely concerned that we are going to have an even worse obesity crisis. And when even you look at the figures, three years ago, they they did a study Based on BMI, they found that two thirds, 60, about 62, percent no, 64% of the adult population are considered overweight or worse, according to BMI. That's scary for me.
0: That's right. That's shocking.
1: Yeah, absolutely shocking. In the, and this is, that's just, so two thirds of our adults are considered overweight. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a huge subject around BMI, whether it's appropriate or not, and whether it's, it's awkward, but it's the only thing we've got. But when you look at it, for example, diabetes diabetes is one of the biggest costs on our nhs at the moment it's huge and it's going to get worse they, they are estimating easily a 200 percent increase in the next two uh, 10 years of the costs that's insane okay and and it's there's so much to unpick with it all when you look at the the support and I get really frustrated with supermarkets and food, you know, because when you look at the information and again, I I, I say this to people, do do we think supermarkets care about you being healthy? Really? No, they don't. I don't, they they might say they do, but actually the one thing they care about is money. So for me, it's such a huge thing to educate people on this stuff because I could sit there and tell, and tell someone, Right, you need to do this 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 and, this and this and this you're doing this wrong this wrong this wrong this wrong you need to do this better do this better that's useless it's absolutely useless it's not good. it's an external motivating they're not going to they're not going to commit to it it's all going to be about them educating themselves that's why the is, that's why the course will be there so people in their own time can put the effort in and learn because then they can choose they can choose whether they want to do that or not because certainly when it comes to eating healthier it cannot be an external motivation at all it has to be internal and i've even said to people before i want to lose weight because i I want to think of my my kids my grandkids okay to a degree but what is it about you what is it about them and their time well and then they would explore and then they would say oh it's because i really value my time my grandkids and i really love seeing my grandkids smile and it's like okay great you're now recognizing your motivation because there's guilt to lose weight is never it's, it's not a great place to be it's not a positive thing. we want it to be as positive as possible um and yeah i that's what i'm working on and i and i'm, I'm i know i'm going to smash it out of the park because from my own sense of making the changes and actually getting this program set up but actually do you know what I have had so much time, money, and effort spent on me to rebuild my life. I am, by my darndest, I am going to put that, give that back to the world, because that is so important. If I cannot give that back, it's more—it's more than just me, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's a whole world of people out there that are struggling daily with this. If I can give back a bit,
0: so your 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 gravestone is not going to say he was here. He played games. What are they going to say now?
1: he changed the world
0: amazing and how does that feel
1: amazing because um yeah you know because change only happens when a you know so many times people can just stand there and say you know I'm just gonna I'm just no it's fine I'm not gonna change it's fine there are problems in the world but I'm just gonna stand by and I'm saying no no I'm not I'm not willing to stand by I'm. I'm going to put the effort in and educate and help people and say that actually, you you you, you have your health. You, if you want to lose a bit of weight, if you want to be healthier, if you want to feel fitter and have more energy, I'm going to help you. I'm going to do it because it's just worth so much. It's going to it's get, The way I look at it, and this is what I say to everyone: What is five, ten years worth to you? Can you put a value on it with your loved ones? doing what you love with spending you know be building that catch you well you can't put a value on it and if I can help to achieve people that to, to let them live longer live happier more productive lives and and feel that they're achieving something then then as far as I'm concerned I, I have a moral obligation to do everything with my power to help them achieve that
0: wow that's amazing David, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to your journey and I just want to say how incredibly impressed I am of where you've come to now, from where you were before. It's just been unbelievable, that transformation. Have you got a final message for the audience today? Um,
1: I think for me... I think the final thing I'd say to everyone that's struggling at the moment, is struggling with their, with their weight or with their health and, 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 and that purpose, be kind to yourself. It's Mental Health Awareness Week, and one of the factors here is be kind. Um, and I think a lot of people sometimes focus on being kind to others and being kind to people around you. But and certainly during this whole COVID-19, we were being kind and being community, but actually it's all got to come back to you first be kind to yourself okay you might have made mistakes you might have okay you might have put weight on you might not be healthy now and and you, but how much is it is it your fault or is it is it a degree of circumstances that have got you to that position okay and if you keep just beating yourself up then you're just going to keep in that cycle and you're not going to make that change so first off just be kind to yourself Admit, okay i've made mistakes what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do next week? What am I going to do next month? What steps am I going to put in place to live a happy life?
0: Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, Focus on why.